Welcome to Trailblazing Entrepreneurs, the new podcast series from Salesforce App Exchange. In this series, we chat to world-class entrepreneurs and founders and explore their journey, as well as share practical insights to build successful businesses. I'm your host, Sandra Peignot, Director of the ISV Business at Salesforce, and in today's episode, I'm joined by Jacin Shada, who is the CEO and co-founder of Axtria. Axtria is a cloud-based sales planning and operations software for healthcare based in New Jersey. So, Jesse, hi, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us today. Sandra, I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me here. Well, you're very welcome. I've been looking forward to this one. So, you won a very impressive series of awards, including Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year twice. So, what do you attribute your success to, Jesse? I think uh, in the in the journey of entrepreneurship, it's all about the team. Uh, you know, obviously the team that comes together, that builds the plan, puts the strategy together, gets the team to build products and then go out and execute. And I would say that we have been very fortunate to have an amazing team. So did you know when you started your journey, uh, the team and the team members you'll be working with, or did you just build a team as you grow the business? So Sandra, as you pointed out, my journey has been through two companies. So the two Entrepreneur Year Awards that we won uh, were actually with two separate companies. Uh, the current team at Axtria, the core team was a team that was known to me and many of those folks were actually with me in the journey of our previous company called MarketRx. But when we started MarketRx, actually there was a small team, core team that I knew, but most of the people were actually added to the team. But the second time around, we were very fortunate that the core team was together, had been together for many years. Well, that's really, really interesting because based on a previous episode, when we were talking to Victoria Pepiat, she was talking about the importance of understanding the skills you need in order to build a very strong business and a strong team around you. So did you recognize those people and those skills before you started or did you just make along and find the right people along the way? Yeah, so I think, you know, there are a lot of different attributes that you want to match, so to speak, you know, when you build your team and uh, skill sets are definitely one of them. So I think at the broad level, we had a fairly good idea about the people's skills and we knew that, you know, the areas they've been want to invest in. But Sandra, I would actually zoom out and say it's actually easier to find people with technical skills. It's harder to find people who share the same values and bring the same culture. So I would say that if you look at the current team and the success it's had, it's got to do more with their values and culture than it does with the skill sets and how we complement each other. Ah, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, one of the themes we started to encounter in this podcast is the importance of knowing and finding the right team, but also aligning yourself to people that have the same core value as you do. Because I think we called it um, the entrepreneur journey. We probably described it as the longest marathon that someone will ever run. And I think you need the stamina and you need to have the people around you that you know you can trust when things get tough or when things go a bit low. I don't know whether that resonates with you, Jesse. Absolutely. So, you know, entrepreneurship and almost every entrepreneurial journey is a marathon with a lots of peaks and valleys, you know. Uh, so this is more similar to the Tour de France than actually a 100 meter sprint. <laughs> so you mentioned soft skills earlier and you said it was easier to find people with technical background and maybe sometimes a little bit harder to find people with more softer skills. And one of the things I'm always interested in is the concept of personal brand and 
how important it is to build a personal brand. And I think you've done this extremely well. What's your secret, Jesse? So I think a lot of different people actually build their brands very differently. A lot of companies are built around personalities. And I can tell you that we have tried very, very hard to never build a company around personality, whether it's my personality or someone else's personality. And yet we are fortunate that, you know, once we are successful, that, you know, people begin to realize and say, who's the team behind it? But I can tell you, there are several people here at Axtria. And when you look at the industry, let's say, you know, we work mostly in the life sciences industry or the pharma industry. There are many people at Axtria who have a better and a bigger brand than Jesse Chatter does in the pharma industry. So I think when you do good work, you uh, have a foundation for building a brand. Now, having said that, another thing about the personal brand, and today we live in the era of digital, everything is digital, right? And in the in the business world, one of the biggest platform for building personal brands is LinkedIn. And that is something that, you know, you have to work on, you have to create, uh, but also you have to be very selective in seeing, you know, wh- how you want to project yourself on that platform. And then, you know, many, there are many other channels. Twitter is another one for the corporate branding perspective or the personal branding perspective. And I can also tell you a secret, you know, do good work. You have to work on it. But the most important thing is that there is always a production team behind you. And that is the team of, of Axtria Marketing. Uh, which actually works tirelessly in curating the content and understanding and, you know, kind of coming with a very clear vision of what the personal brand of someone like Jesse Chadha needs to be. Well, I guess this impacts quite heavily the image that you portray as an individual, isn't it? And the, because obviously you are the lead person for Astria, but also as your own personal brand uh, when looking for investment. Were you conscious of uh, wanting to and needing to build that personal brand as you were raising capital? Or did this not really enter your mind at the time? So there's no doubt about it that actually the personal brand does actually make a difference in in terms of attracting investors and investments. And we have actually seen that even, you know, when we were building the first company uh, versus the second company, because, you know, the team behind the second company had a much bigger brand, so to speak. But Sandra, I will actually uh, zoom out a little bit and say, you know, there could be a lot of different reasons for building the brand. Uh, For me personally, attracting talent has been a harder problem to solve than attracting investors. Uh, Very honestly, at every step of the way, uh, when we have thought about actually, I have thought about whether it's my personal brand or the company's brand, it has always been focused around attracting talent, employees. Uh, How do we want to project ourselves to our customers? Uh, The investors and the investment has been kind of the... Uh, the tertiary consideration, the primary has been employees, secondary has been customers, and investors kind of come third, so to speak, in that priority order. So talk to me a little bit more about your funding journey. And I'm really interested in two things. One is, how did you secure it? But the one I'm always loving to hear about is, how was your first pitch? <laughs> yeah, so actually, very honestly, and this is something that I actually talked to a lot of young entrepreneurs who are starting on their journey of entrepreneurship is that you're going to have a lot of bad business plans before you may have a good one. And it's okay to have a bad one, but go out and actually pitch it. Uh, because you learn more when you're pitching it to someone who are, you're asking to invest in the business than actually discussing it internally or in your head and working on your PowerPoint. Uh, so don't wait for that perfect pitch, so to speak, because if you wait for the perfect pitch, you'll never get started. 
And, um, and, and you know, for, from that perspective, uh, I started off with a lot of very bad business plans. And one could argue that every time in both the companies, with the plan we started off with was actually not a good one either. Uh, having said that, the first time around, uh, it was so bad that we couldn't attract any uh, institution investor. You know, we started off with the friends and family. And then, you know, as the, you st- start becoming more successful, you start attracting some more kind of uh, high net worth individuals. And then eventually we got a corp institution investor. Second time around, actually, it's amazing. One would expect that you have learned your lessons. You know how to figure out a good plan versus a bad plan. And yet again, we started off with a bad one. Uh, but this time around, it was easier because we had a brand, so to speak. So people were investing behind you and not your plan. You know, So when you look at from a capital perspective, I think the piece that is often forgotten is that the cheapest form of capital is revenue. It's not the investor money. And the second one is within the investor money, there are a lot of different types of capital. And most entrepreneurs think about venture capitalist as the primary source of capital, which is very important, by the way, especially in building tech companies. But most people often forget that there are other sources of capital, equity investors. I'm not talking about debt and venture debt and those kind of things. So we started off and actually have played a lot more with private investors than institution investors. So were you aware of this before you started or was it the result of your first round of investment and you figured out there was alternative source of funding? Um, actually, I did not realize it when we started. Actually, it was a result of our uh, not having a good pitch and having a, an ability to attract capital from institution investors. But that <laughs> practice <laughs> made it easier to get capital from private investors. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's pretty fair to say you've been bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. Tell me why. And I'm really interested to hear how this changed your life as an individual. It's it's very interesting. I actually grew up in a in a in a family in which uh, I didn't really have any business exposure or business training. My mother was a professor at a university, and uh, you know, and uh, if you know anything about teachers, most teachers are not good business people. And uh, and my father was in the military, and you know, he retired pretty early, uh, and then he stayed retired. And, you know, he's been retired for almost forty years now. But it's interesting, even when I was young, I was in high school, when I was in, in the university, and when I came to U.S. for my graduate studies, I wanted to be a, a, an entrepreneur. And I came to U.S. in 1990, and there were a lot of amazing tech entrepreneurs who were creating amazing companies around that. I mean, you know, most of them now all sound like old entrepreneurs who have now retired, you know, uh, Michael Dell's of the world to Bill Gates and Larry Ellison and all that. And if you look across the, the stories of each one of them, they're very inspiring stories. They all have different personalities and different styles, by the way. You know, I started following them as, you know, they were my role models. And I started looking at that. And that was basically it reinforced my, the, the entrepreneur bug. So I would say that I had the bug while I was still in school. And then I, you know, there was basically a, 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 only a matter of time. It's almost analogous to a hammer looking for a nail, you know, took the plunge to become an entrepreneur. Well, you obviously have found some really successful nails because you've obviously done really, 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 really well. Um, and we talked about those external influences. I also remember listening to your previous interview and you mentioned your family being really, really important to you. Um, were they always a source of comfort for you, of, of validation? 
what kind of part did they play in your life and, and in your entrepreneurial journey? My, my mother played a much bigger role in my upbringing and the foundation of who I am than my father did. And I, you know, the things that my I got from my mother was uh, she was extremely, extremely hardworking and an amazing role model from that perspective. In some ways, I never really can lived up to her expectation from the hard work perspective. And the second thing is that uh, you know she had done a PhD in mathematics from the top school in India in sixties. Uh, so you know she was passionate about math and she was passionate about education. So that is something that I got from her. But having said that, you know the background that my parents had and the upbringing that we had actually taking risk of going and starting a business was actually looked down upon uh, so i would actually say that there was not a support i remember when i had been in us for a couple of years and i had been working and i was doing very well in my my job i announced to my parents that i was not me but also my brother and we were only two brothers both the siblings had quit their jobs at the same time to start this company. Our parents just couldn't understand this. It's like, what's wrong with you guys? You're doing so well in your jobs. Why would you give away well-paying jobs to take a risk of starting a business? Uh, so that was kind of the push and the pull that we got from our family. I can imagine. And would you say culture played a key role in your entrepreneur journey? Culture didn't play as much as a role as the environment did. I did my undergrad from Indian Institute of Technology, Delhi. There is a lot of rivalry between all different IITs, so I can boast a little bit that, you know, IIT Delhi has produced more entrepreneurs than any other institute coming out of India. And that is a product of the environment. And then eventually you start uh, looking up to role models, people you know who go on to become successful entrepreneurs. So that environment played the role uh, growing up in India, uh, being in U.S., U.S. takes the entrepreneurship to the next level. And, uh, you know, in terms of the whole ecosystem that is available of markets and capital and people and technology and so on. Uh, so I would say that environment played a much bigger role in my ability to take that plunge than perhaps the culture did. You have a real passion for data analytics and you obviously have a, a great level of education and experience around this. Did you always know that you will be building um, a business around this? Um, and did those skills, did you have them you know, to start with or did you sort of continue to learn as uh, you went along your journey? The only passion that I had was for math. Uh, and that is something that I would say that I got hand down from my mother uh, she, because she was really good at math, except for she made a profession out of math by being a teacher. When my mom was alive, I used to kid with her saying, I figured out to make a, a way to make money with math as compared to just, you know, have a profession with math. And, you know, problem solving and I loved, you know, interacting with people and developed the experience of actually selling and uh, building products and all that. But I think it all started from a passion for math. But having said that, you know, coming out of school, if you, ha you had asked me five years from now or 10 years from now and now, you know, 25 years from after I came out of school that, you know, would you have build a business or which industry would you build the business? I would have predicted software and not data analytics. And that is something that I've been, you know, how in life you need luck, right? Uh, I think I've been extremely lucky that we live in a world where the data or the analytics has 
come together with the software. And that's something that has kind of really propelled us to be at the right place at the right time. Well, you really have turned your love of math and your passion for math into a, a business. How much do you worry about the competition? You know, when you think about your business, because your business is flying and, and you've gained a lot of market share in, in the US and, and across the world. Do you worry about them? Do you, you know, do they keep you up at night? I think obviously competition is very important. As a matter of fact, everyone would love to be in a market in which you have no competition so you can go out and actually be successful. As a matter of fact, actually having competition makes you better. Uh, it keeps you on your toes. It, it forces you to think strategically and execute and all of that. So if you look at uh, the competition, I would actually break it up into a two by two matrix. Uh, so the one dimension is product versus services companies. And the second one is the companies which are, which we know which are large companies and the companies we don't know which are small companies. So it's very interesting whether it's products or services and we have some very large companies, either products or services who compete with us in cloud software in the life sciences industry or services for the life sciences industry. The large companies actually, yes, we worry about them because eventually what if they get their act together or they put a lot of capital behind, you know, trying to compete in the marketplace and uh, with us. I, I don't worry so much about that. The segment that I really worry about are the small companies that we don't know who are actually building a better product or a mousetrap than we have built so far. Because you always get disrupted by smaller companies who have better ideas. You almost never get disrupted by large companies who are already successful. Absolutely. So how do you keep yourself ahead of the curve? What's the secret, Jesse? So I think that actually quite honestly starts off being paranoid you know, and, and really worrying about what's out there. Uh, second is you have to invest a lot in actually competitive intelligence and not just having a team, but actually going out and talking to investors and customers and, you know, going to conferences and learning about what is happening in the marketplace. So this is kind of the information gathering. And the third piece is um, having a very strong group of advisors. Between starting off with Paranoid, tracking all your competitors, gathering information and talking to uh, advisors enables you to kind of have a fairly good idea. And at the end of it, the goal is very simple. You have to know an order of magnitude more about your competitors than they know about you. So you've talked a little bit about your journey. And, and you said to me, if someone had told me at the beginning that I would build a company around data science in healthcare, you would have laughed. And so when you think back about, you know, your young self, um, what would you say to yourself saying, oh, I wish I've done this? What advice would you give yourself? So there are a lot of things that I've learned along the way. One could argue I'm still not very good. There are a lot of different aspects of your experience and capability that you need uh, to do this, right? From that perspective, I would have invested a lot more in learning more about the different aspects of business. Like, for example, accounting and finance. I had absolutely zero training and experience in accounting and finance. I mean, how do you become an entrepreneur and a, soft, and, a, and a CEO if you can't even read a balance sheet? Plenty of people don't. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, and you're going around and, and, and negotiating with venture capitalists. If you look at other aspects, uh, uh, I, I'm a techie, I'm an engineer, right? Uh, so technical aspect of things, yes, there is always a long list of things that I wish I had I known, right? That's who we are. But at the same time, what complements that is actually sales. And I wish I had better uh, selling skills. Over time, I've learned to be better at sales. 
but I wish I had invested more. And the third piece, Sandra, I would say that I learned pretty late is really in a framework, actually defining your strategy, company strategy and pressure testing that. And that is something that you actually need formal training and most engineers don't have this. So most of the so-called the blind spots that I feel that I have had that I've picked up along the way in this journey are more on the business management side as compared to on the technical aspect of the business. Where would you go and find those additional scale sets that uh, we were talking about? I mean, we talked about accounting and, and sales. Did you draw upon your network or how would you go about it now if you were to advise someone? So I have actually done a number of things and actually over the period of time, you know, those things have changed and evolved as well. So, you know, when I started talking about, let's say the accounting and finance, it was then around, you know, relying a lot more on your advisors and board of directors in helping you think through that. And then, you know, going out and hiring people who have more experience and smarter than you who actually know that process. Right. But one thing that I realized along the way was that you needed a more kind of a formal training. Uh, so I started off with a little bit of, of uh, informal training by joining a group like uh, YPO, which is Young Presidents Organization, uh, which invests a lot in this and believes in this concept of, of lifelong learning. And later on, actually, about seven or eight years ago, a friend of mine recommended me to actually join an executive program at, at Harvard Business School called Owner Presidents Management Program. And that kind of a program, and it needs a lot of investment. And I'm not talking about money because, you know, eventually at the end, you know, if you're successful, money is not an issue. It's just time and the amount of investment that you have had to need. So for the last eight or 10 years, Sandra, I have invested in more than 200 hours every year in external formal training so that I can continue to learn and, and apply that to the business. One of the things everyone knows that we don't have enough of is time, right? And it's uh, and everything, whether it's personal time or whether it's actually in business, you know, whether you want to invest in yourself or and all of that. Um, when when you say we don't have time, what basically all of us have the same time. It is a matter of this. This is not my priority. One of the tips I got from uh, a very good friend of mine when I was becoming an entrepreneur twenty years ago was. He said, uh, you will have to prioritize between your personal interests, your family and your your business, your career, right? And most people will go through life without really thinking through this and having a clear strategy. And there's no right or wrong answer. But everyone who tries to maximize all three of them is surely going to fail. So be very clear about that. And with that, uh, you know, you have to make the personal choice for me. My personal choice was family. My second choice was my professional career. And my third choice was my personal interest, which is close to zero. And that's something that, you know, you have to do trade-offs. And, and at the end of it, I'm also very analytical and a very quantitative person. Uh, the question is, how do you track and measure these priorities? You know, a lot of people would say, you know, yes, I think a lot more about my family, which they actually do, or they spend a lot of more time with the family than they do. Uh, so every year, uh, at the end of the year, I actually analyze my year in, that has gone by and I look at this thing and I can tell you ever, ever since I became an entrepreneur, and especially the last 15 years, first four or five years, you know, still figuring things out, is that no one spends more time with their family. I'm talking about actual number of hours and number of days with their family than I do that I know personally. Wow, that is 
really, really impressive. So some closing. So Jesse, uh, what would be the number one tip you would give to someone that is an aspiring entrepreneur and listening to this podcast? One of the tips which I got when I became an entrepreneur and I repeated a lot of different forums, and that is that you will need three things to succeed in business. And that is your luck, intelligence and hard work. And you can't do anything about the first two. Jesse, thank you so much for chatting with me today. And thank you for joining us for our fifth episode. If you have any questions or topic you want to hear more about, tweet us at AppExchange. I'll be back soon with some more insights from some entrepreneurs. So make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast app to be the first one to know. Until then, goodbye.